The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Welcome to Spectrumly Speaking. I'm Haley Moss, an attorney, artist, author, and autistic self-advocate. And today I am joined here by a very special guest co-host. Hi, this is Marcy Champy, also known as Samantha Craft. I'm so tickled to be here. I love working with you at Different Brains on podcasts, Haley, and I'm really excited to learn more about our guests today. I am the author of Everyday Asperger's and co-author of Spectrum Women Walking to the Beat of Autism. And I have an LLC, Spectrum Suite LLC. And I also work for an outstanding company that based out of New York, I live in Olympia, Washington, uh, called Ultranauts. We used to be called Ultra Testing. And we recruit, I'm their senior recruiter and outreach specialist, and we recruit people on the autism spectrum to work from home across the United States and across Canada. It is awesome to get to have you. And since we last spoke, I know that you've been very busy and I've been busy. And last time we spoke was right after the Spectrum Lights Inclusion Summit. So I know that you've definitely been keeping up with projects. So how's everything been going with you? Yeah, earlier we were talking about how busy you are. It's the same. <laughs> I actually had to go back through my calendar so I could remember what to talk about about my week because it's all a big blur right now. Um, the highlight of my week is I got to talk to Steve Silberman yesterday and there's the author of NeuroGuides or NeuroTribes. My partner has a company called NeuroGuides and Steve's book is NeuroTribes and I have this idea <laughs> so I'm constantly like mixing the two up. But he's a best-selling author and he's like my autistic, well he's not autistic himself, he hasn't disclosed, but he's my autism hero. He's like, I told um, my partner if I could have like a poster on my wall of who I kind of worship a little bit, it would be Steve Silverman. So I was tickled I got to talk to him yesterday and there's a good chance that we're going to try to find a way to get him just a few miles from my house to speak at Evergreen College um, mm -hmm. in the spring. So that's super exciting. And last night we drove up to Seattle about 60 minutes from here and spoke to a very receptive kind parent group about vocational smarts for teens and young adults on the autism spectrum. And that was a wonderful connection. Really appreciated Reither in Seattle hosting us. Um, doing lots of recruiting for ultra testing. We're looking to hire 50 to 100 new testers in the next three years, if you can believe it. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. And did a podcast where I got to be a guest on Tuesday and looking forward to actually being on the other end today, <laughs> being to ask the questions and not have to come up with the answer. So that's fun. Um, had a talk to some, with someone at the Smithsonian and Smithsonian Museum. That's a hard word to say. <laughs> in New York. And she does a neurodiversity design career fair out there. And that was really interesting. And what else? Oh, I wanted to mention that in Canada, in the spring, there are three simultaneous job fairs. And I'm saying that because I know our guests are from Canada. And one of them is in Toronto, and they expect anywhere from two to 300 autistic job seekers. So I can talk more about that later. That is so cool. Your week sounds a lot busier than mine because I just got back from a cruise. So I went on oh. a cruise last week with my family, and I got back, I think, Sunday. I drove back home to Miami on Monday. So I had a short week this week. 
And Where did you go to? We went to the Bahamas, Puerto Rico, and St. Martin. Not in that order, but got to hang out on some beaches, got to have some much-needed downtime, connect, disconnect from the world. So it was weird not having internet or phone access for yes. a couple days, but I did kind of sneak out to check my email when we were in Puerto Rico. And my boss was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm on a cruise. I'm sorry. I missed everything. And I'm sitting there like, sorry. I'm so glad you got a chance to recharge. We, I took my three sons on an Alaskan cruise a couple years ago and same thing. It was so nice to unplug, mm-hmm. just get away from everything. Is that your first time that you cruised? We yeah. go every Thanksgiving usually. And I've been on a lot of cruises. I think last year we went on two or three. I went after the bar exam. We went last Thanksgiving and my mom and I when I was in law school, I used to go on a girl's trip every year, usually in January, because that's when it was always the cheapest to go to the Caribbean for us. So How we'd go on a girl's trip every couple of we- every couple of years or every year. It was really fun. So, that's a fun fact about you. I didn't know. Oh, yeah. I, love, I love a good cruise. This is not a secret. And it's really funny because I was at an event yesterday that was kind of for adults on the spectrum. And a couple parents went and they were talking about that they've worked with World Caribbean on their autism friendly initiatives. And I'm like, as someone who goes on Royal Caribbean, I'm wondering how many autistic people they worked with. And then one of the parents goes, oh, my husband used to work for Royal Caribbean. I'd love to get to connect you. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, that would be pretty cool because I love a good cruise. Going to Alaska on a cruise is definitely up there on the dream job. Not the dream job, but the dream vacation. The yeah. Mm-hmm. The dream trip. It's I like Royal the Mediterranean. Caribbean. Oh, I really, I'm, yeah, I'm see, I like their shows. Person. You know what I like about cruises is the structure and the schedule. Yes. I get so much peace of mind spending like an hour going through the schedules and highlighting and underlining and prioritizing (laughs) where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do and that the meals are all planned and they have a little menu. When we went on our cruise Mm -hmm. ship, the people that were supposed to sit with us at the dining table never showed up. (laughs) So we had the waiters to ourselves and it was just me and my three sons and it was brilliant. We had these long conversations. It was one of the best investments I ever made that family time because now they're almost all adults. My youngest will be 18. And it was probably one of the last moments, well, it is the last moment that all three of us were together you know, before they're into their own adult world and doing their own thing. So they're great for family bonding. Oh, definitely. I got to spend all the time with my parents. And it's funny because the more I, I went on this cruise, I was thinking how cool it would get to be to get go with other people because I've never gone on a cruise or anything with other people that aren't my family. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have like a neurodiversity cruise or something? Yes. That we can all- Go okay. unplug and connect with one another. Let's maybe get, let's get maybe we could do spectrum lights. Yeah, hacky yeah, from maybe different we get, brains to, to yes, and we can it, get right? spectrum lights to clearly be on a cruise one year. Yes, we can. We can get <laughs> everyone we know, and let's create. And we can have Steve Silberman and all. And don't of forget about friends. today's guest. Yes, we can have Wanda. We have everyone from uh, that we've met throughout the autistic neurodiversity community. That would be fantastic. All yes. right. All right. Now we've got the future planned. We're good. We got the future plan, which means we're cruising right along into introducing today's guest, who we've slowly been teasing out with that she's from Canada and all that. And today our guest is Wanda Deshaw. And Wanda is the founder and principal of Liberty Co., a a consultancy for nonprofits with charitable status. When not spending time with friends, following the Pittsburgh Penguins, exercising, or reading about history, biographies, or current affairs, She's a champion for inclusivity with a special focus on neurodiversity and gender equity issues. Wanda is a skilled advocate for advancing and achieving gender balance in nonprofit leadership and in elected representation. Welcome to the show. Thank Welcome. you. 
so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. And as we always like to start, can you tell us how you became involved in the autism community? Yes. Well, to use the overused term, it found me. I didn't go searching for it in the sense that I was diagnosed with autism at almost 47. So I started getting involved because of my own diagnosis. And I wanted to understand more uh, what was happening in, in the communities, in the advocacy community, in the research community. So I started to get involved. I'm also the mother of two sons with autism. So I wanted to get involved uh, because of their diagnosis as well. However, it's, my involvement so far is focused more on the female side. So I have to say it's really driven because of my own diagnosis. As, as I said, almost 47 years old. Thanks for sharing, Wanda. Um, I myself was also diagnosed late age in my early 40s, being on the autism spectrum with Asperger's, and my middle son is on the spectrum, and more than likely my youngest son is as well. What led you to begin speaking out and writing about your experiences? Well, I read the book Autism and Heals by Jennifer Cook O'Toole. Uh, the holidays last year, actually, just ending 2018 and entering 2019. And I said to my husband, this is the story of my life. If you want to know about my life, read this book. It resonated so deeply. I hadn't had that experience before of reading about someone and, and feeling like it was reading my own life experiences. So I started reaching out in January of 2019 to various organizations in Canada to find out who was the Jennifer Cook O'Toole in Canada. And I had trouble locating her. So I continued reaching out and I continued to speak with people. And they said, well, why don't you get involved by sharing your own story, whether it be through writing or being interviewed? And at first, I brushed it off. I didn't think my perspective would be that interesting. I didn't think I would have a lot to share. And then over time, I was encouraged more and more. Well, why don't you just start? Just do this. So I did, and it took off from there. That is really cool. And I'm really glad that we have your voice in this conversation. I know whenever I see your content on LinkedIn and whatnot, I'm always really excited to read it and see what you have to say. So thank you for being part of our community. That being said, can you also tell us a little bit about the lack of gender balance in nonprofits? As someone who does serve on nonprofit boards, in full disclosure, I serve on the board here at Different Brains as well. I think it's really interesting to think about gender balance as well as all other forms of representation. Yes. Well, it is, it's the case of 70% of the employees in the charitable sector are female. And we're not participating equally at the leadership levels. So it's actually a reverse when you look at the leadership positions. 70% are held by men. 
and 30% by women, which is really disappointing when you look at our high level of participation throughout the charitable sector, whether it be through in entry positions, middle positions, director positions, and so on. So we would really like to see women approaching the 50-50 split. Thank you for sharing that. It's really interesting. I was reading a, a couple of the articles that you had written online. And um, as an aside, do you think that might have to do with some more of the founders of the not-for-profits being males? Maybe they have that equity to invest or they're making more money in, in the job sector so that they can invest. I'm asking because my vocational and personal partner, he's an owner, a CEO and founder of a not-for-profit NeuroGuides, and I'm a co-executive and I work with him. And what, what can be done about to help achieve that balance? And why do you think that, that that's happening? Well, it is a male-dominated field. So mm -hmm. looking beyond the organizational leadership positions, meaning staff levels, yes. So if we look at the boards of directors, if we look at the capital campaign cabinets, if we look at the advisory groups, if we look at the volunteer committees for state major gift fundraising, those are primarily populated with men. So yes, it's a male dominated field because those volunteer positions are the ones that actually oversee the CEOs of the nonprofits. They actually hire the CEOs of the nonprofits. They are actually the senior volunteers who are driving the capital campaign. So yes, it's important to look at the field right across the board and those key volunteer and director and governor positions are definitely having an effect. So that gives a broader sense of the issue. In terms of your second question, what can we do to address? Keep doing what we're doing. Increasing the public's awareness that this is the reality and having the dialogue focusing on positive change while at the same time not backing away from the sometimes difficult conversations because people and, and good people um, who have been involved in the sector for a long time can feel like they're being unfairly targeted and that's not what this is about at all. Mm -hmm. This is looking at the big picture and acknowledging that balance is good for everyone and whether that be gender balance whether that be more diversity um, because of a greater ethnicity or having people from various religious groups or sexual orientations it's about the sector reflecting the demographics of the population which is actually the stakeholder base that it serves because we are there to serve the donors, the volunteers, all of those, the beneficiaries, all of those who are really um, the, the key basis of the sector. Thank you, that's very useful information for both Haley and I that are in the inner workings of, of nonprofits. You know, it, we're actually in there, we're observing what's happening, we're, we're participating. Mm -hmm. as well as the general public that the donors that's donating that 
that the not-for-profits are serving, as you said. Are there any specifics, things you would recommend for, for Haley and I in the not-for-profits we work at? Or should we look at the board? Should we be looking at the positions? Or what is some of the advice you might have for us? All of that. So looking at the boards, looking at the diversity of the board, is that diversity there? As I mentioned, whether that be gender, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation. So look at those, those senior volunteer positions because they are the ones hiring the CEO. Then definitely look at who is filling the leadership positions. Mm -hmm. and look at the staff levels and keep it on the board agenda continually hmm. to, evaluate, to, to check in and reevaluate with the diversity of the not-for-profit I like that Absolutely. a lot mm -hmm. and however the nominations for the board, whatever that process looks like, if there's a nominating committee, if there's a nominating committee chair, go back to those structures and those processes that help drive decision making and take a look at what's influencing them. Mm -hmm. So if it's you know the the age old uh, you always you'll always get what you always got. Mm -hmm. So if you keep using the same systems and structures and processes, then your outcomes will be the same as they always were. So it's a time to take another look. And it, it is difficult. I am not saying that this is easy. Mm -hmm. It's worth it. Because we know that organizations that have greater diversity are more successful. That's exactly what at Ultra Knots we've been focusing on for the last five years is mm -hmm. building that diverse community. We're focusing on the neurodiversity and, and fortunately we've been able to attract a lot of females on the autism spectrum as well as males. And that's something that's unique to the company because so many are with the autism hiring initiatives are focusing on the typical stereotype young caucasian male and so in my language about having that diversity in the workplace not only neurodiversity but that gender diversity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we just finished a national day of conversation here in canada we had participation from the u.s our colleagues in the US. So it was a national day of conversation mm -hmm. about sexual harassment in the charitable sector. And again, this pervasive issue of sexual harassment and sexual assault and fundraising would be an example of an outcome from that male dominated patriarchal environment. Mm -hmm. So it was mainly a virtual day we had people, as I say, participating across Canada. We had participation from the U.S. as well, which was fantastic. And we had Facebook Live interviews. We also had a discussion via Instagram. And it was about putting the issue out there 
and then focusing on solutions. And it's amazing when you open something up like that, it's, it's amazing how people come forward and raise issues mm -hmm. because of your dedicated time to talk about it who might not have come forward otherwise. So what we heard was from men and individuals who work with men in male dominated environments is that they're coming forward and saying these male dominated environments aren't good for men either. Yes, because the, so the lack of cognitive diversity and diversity in general mm -hmm. and personalities. Yes, that makes sense. Um, what led you to have such a passion and knowledge for this topic? We asked you about what led you to speak out about your writing experiences, but was there, was there a tipping or to speak out and write about your experiences, but was there a tipping point that had to do with the gender inequality in nonprofits? What led you to be an activist for this cause? My own experiences. So I was sexually harassed by both um, organizational leadership at the, at the staff level and by volunteers as well. And I looked to my left and I looked to my right and then I looked in the mirror and I realized I can't leave it to others. I have to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, Thanks. something something happened, something crystallized, and that was January 2nd. I read an opinion editorial from a fundraiser in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which spoke to her own experiences of sexual harassment in, in the charitable sector. And as much as I had felt the onus was on me to do something, and I, I did speak up in the past, I did not realize that someone was going to speak up openly and that it would be picked up in the media. So that happened January 2nd, 2019. I nearly dropped my cup of hot coffee when I saw the headlines that morning. And so I reached out to Liz LeClaire, who's the name of the professional in Halifax, and we and other individuals uh, gathered together and galvanized, and we decided on the National Day of Conversation. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really great to turn something that was a very difficult experience for you into positive change. I love that. I love that about the human nature. Applause to you for doing that. And thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that story with us. I'm sure it was a difficult time for you. It still is. It still is. I said the day of the national conversation, uh, this, our work's not going to be over at midnight tonight. We have to keep moving forward. Um, we have to, going back to uh, earlier point I made, Marcy, about you know, how do we, how do we ensure that this continues? Keeping it on the board agendas. Well, first getting it on the board agendas where it's not there and then keeping it on the board agenda. The awareness, like it, conversations like this, even knowing that it's happening. Exactly. And so it is difficult. It's easier when you talk about it 
as a broad mm -hmm. issue, as a pervasive issue. You keep it focused on the solutions. You feel like you're doing something, you're contributing, you're moving forward. It also takes the power away mm -hmm. from those who have harmed you. And it empowers you. Definitely. To bring other people in who mm -hmm. as well want to see positive change happen. Absolutely. And it really shifts your thinking and your feeling. Well, it sure actually reminds me of something that a friend told me. And that was the difference between charity and justice. It sounds like by doing this, we're bringing justice to charity rather than that the two of them are very separate concepts because charity is about people in power feeling good while justice is giving people who don't have power the power. I believe that was one of our senators who said that and a friend of mine told me about that and I thought it was the coolest concept. So I like that we're bringing justice into the nonprofit sphere by having more diversity in gender and all other things. So I think what probably, I don't know how you feel about this, Wanda, but I think what's next is a more intersectional approach. So having more board members, senior management, et cetera, who are diverse. So people of color, LGBTQ people, more neurodiversity at those upper levels. I'm often personally very critical of a lot of autism and disability organizations that their senior management or boards do not have that many people with disabilities or neurodiverse people on them. Exactly. So like I serve on a nonprofit board down here and in Florida and it's, we serve a over 12,000 families that have autistic family members and our board only has two people on the spectrum. And every meeting I go to, I go, Hey, can we get more autistic people on our board? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and then people say, we don't know anyone. It's like, yeah, you do. You have 12,000 constituents. <laughs> that is another piece. Thank you for raising that, Haley. And I love bring justice to charity. I love that. That encapsulates it perfectly. Going to who we know, or not, we not thinking about who we don't know and, and finding, finding them, mm -hmm. that is to a large degree what is perpetuated the male dominated aspect of the charitable sector, the male dominance of the charitable sector, uh, whether it be on the boards or the volunteers, mm -hmm. um, that's not good enough anymore. Um, there's given the amount of information that is available in the public domain and given the amount of information that's available now within charities, within their own files, um, they can find those people. They, they can find those people. It's even as simple as saying, you know, often it's a male name that arises. Okay, well, that's great that Philip is, you know, what about Philip's partner, spouse? And, and because what's really interesting in Canada is that women make an influence over for 80% of donations. Wow. But the constantly the the default has been to recruit the the male uh, the male volunteers or put the emphasis on the male donor in the family mm -hmm. without asking and having a full conversation about 
what was it that interested you about our organization that you started becoming involved and you started making a charitable priority often when those kinds of conversations take place they will find mm -hmm. out that it was a female influencer that is wild and i also kind of understand that and wonder if it goes to our own society's expectations of women being helpers and more selfless in all these different gender roles that society seems to place on us as women that make us more likely to either give or to have that influence in volunteerism too exactly well, that's what i was thinking as well haley well said well said and that's not necessarily all bad if women are to a large degree the charitable giving drivers mm -hmm. then find out more about it talk to more female philanthropists profile more female philanthropists yes Bring more female donors and volunteers within your organization on tours at events talk to them I am so glad that you're saying this too. And I also think about with volunteers, I know there's certain tasks that seem to get delegated to women because of this. And like you said, it's not all bad, but when you really look at organizational structure, sometimes you see it a lot. So I notice every time you see the big fancy galas, the big parties, the ones that really bring in a lot of fundraising dollars, usually the chair or the co-chairs of the event are women. And I wonder if that also goes on any of our expectations in society too. Yes, because those are not considered, except with, with a few exceptions, those are not considered the senior volunteer positions. Mm -hmm. That's not the chair of the board at the Children's Health Center. Mm -hmm. That's not the chair of the board at the post-secondary institution. So give women the more event-focused volunteer roles, not the more strategic. Got it. Mm -hmm. We were having a similar conversation, my coworker and I, on a very lesser degree, when we're talking about the day in and day out of the typical workplace, that it's often still falls on the woman, the women in the company to plan the holiday parties. Yeah. And so what we're talking about is really just a higher level of the same thing happening repeatedly where women are put into the position of these stereotypical gender roles. And fortunately, there's been a lot of information available out there now about gender roles and gender equality. So perhaps with more knowledge in that area, that can shift some of what you're talking about in your causes and your passion with this not not profits the more we have these conversations the difficult conversations and and expose it and really look at it and think oh i didn't even notice this was happening let's look at it because we're so used to it exactly so we have to change it. the culture mm -hmm. and whether that be the inclusion revolution and hiring more individuals with varying abilities or whether it be in the charitable sector. Uh, look at the reckoning that's happening in professional sports. So we have to look at these cultures and the embedded thoughts and attitudes and practices 
in, in all kinds of spheres. Definitely. Thank you for bringing this particular topic to our attention because I wasn't familiar with it at all. And it's going to be an interesting conversation I can have with some of the not-for-profit CEOs and leaders that I know. So thank you very much. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear. Absolutely. And I, I can't wait to get to bring this back and also to have more conversations with women I know who want to get involved and aren't getting involved for whatever the reason. So then hopefully we can encourage them to continue to change the status quo that you mentioned about not and the nonprofit spirit being as male dominated as it is. And the Association of Fundraising Professionals, which is an international organization headquartered in Washington, is a fantastic resource for you. And my co-conspirator in the National Day of Conversation, Liz LeClaire, is now the chair of the Women's Impact Initiative through AFP. And that is awesome. So, yes. And uh, so information available online mm -hmm. at AFP and uh, so they would be more than happy to speak with you and help you and uh, provide you with resources. That is definitely a really great resource. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. I think we're going to have to make sure that our listeners have access to all the resources that you're mentioning as well. So speaking of resources and so that they are all on board and can join this conversation further, how can they find out more about you? How can they know more about the work that you're doing and how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to? LinkedIn. I won't say I'm there 24 seven, but I'm there a lot. So I welcome any invitations from individuals who wish to connect via LinkedIn. Uh, please follow my online presence, uh, like, or react to, even if you don't like it, please react to my content, comment, forward as you wish. Simply engage. I love hearing from people I have met and connected with so many fantastic people since I've become more involved online. We don't have to agree. Sometimes you learn more um, from someone offering you a different perspective and encouraging you to think another way. And that's really helpful as well. Um, LinkedIn is really my preferred platform of choice. My email address is on my LinkedIn profile. So my Liberty Co address is there and I'm happy uh, for people to reach out to me via email as well. We are having a segment actually about new moms on the autism spectrum. Wanda, if you want to stay and chat and join our segment, you are more than welcome to. If you have to go, then that's okay too. So we're going to talk a little bit about moms and new moms on the spectrum. I am not a parent. I'm not a parent to a pet. I'm not a parent to a child. <laughs> so this is one that I am probably going to take a back seat and listen to a little bit more. So if you two want to take the lead on this or if you want to take the lead on this, Marcy, go for it. Yeah, coincidentally, I, the chapter I wrote for Spectrum Women Walking to the Beat of Autism was on parenting. That was my chapter. So I have had some time to reflect on that topic. It's funny you said that, Haley, that, that you're not a parent and we're, and we're having this um, discussion because <laughs> when I was a school teacher many years ago, probably about your age, um, I was asked to teach parenting classes <laughs> and I never had a child. And I didn't realize you know, how 
how much that's needed when you're actually teaching a parenting class to actually have had a child, you know, I'd had a, a beautiful Himalayan cat at the time. That's more, that's more children than I have currently. So. I remember going up the stairwell when I was pregnant as a teacher, I was teaching middle school and I remember going up the stairs and there were two friends of mine that were teachers. And one of her was Jennifer. And I remember looking at her and saying, as I was pregnant, I can't imagine loving anything more than I love my cat. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love it. <laughs> and I also remember in that same conversation, looking at her and saying, oh, motherhood will be easy. I mean, I teach 60 middle school students, you know, this is just one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, my ignorance was pretty much See, off that's the why I like to, I, I feel like with a lot of conversations, I'm learning when it's my turn to sit down and shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. And shut up and listen is kind of the attitude I take. And parenting is one of those things because like you're saying, I don't know what it's like to be a parent. And hopefully after having a couple of kids, you can say that you love them more than you love your dad. Yes, most definitely. As soon as he came out and I saw him, that was it. It's like, what was I thinking? It's like my cat was just, I don't even know if I remember to feed my cat after that, right? But um, is yeah. one joining us in the conversation with the new mothers on the autism spectrum? I am, I am here. I am here. You can talk, you can join however you feel comfortable if you have what to say or what you suggest for moms. Well, I say embrace your autism as a mother. What does that look like for you when you embrace your autism? Being myself. Your authentic self. Being the real Wanda, the authentic Wanda. Mm -hmm. It is so wonderful, and it's so wonderful to be real as a mother, whether you have autism or not. To be an authentic human being and, and be, be there for an your children. Human being, your children will benefit from that so much. The message that you send when you accept yourself. And you are, of course, always open to learning, always open to new perspectives. However, you are, what I say is unashamed, unafraid, undeterred. They learn from that. They're watching. And whether it's your autism or whether it's any other aspect of of your personality, of your makeup, um, enjoy, enjoy the ride. Um, so both my sons have autism and we, that's secondary to us. We, we love them as people and, um, they know, they know I'm different, um, from a lot of mothers. I mean, especially if, you know, more traditional characteristics and traits of mothers. So, um, they know that I don't fall into those traditional societal structures. So we, we embrace it. We enjoy it. We laugh about it. Um, they complain about it whenever it's convenient for them, but it's, it's me. It's real. It's authentic Wanda. Wonderful. I would, I would add definitely that I feel the same way. We're on the same line wavelength there. For me, I didn't know I was on the autism spectrum. So it made it a little bit 
different for me. I wasn't ready to embrace my autism because I didn't know I was autistic. I did struggle immensely with similar thoughts, Haley, that you and I were talking about earlier about struggles in the workplace and, the, and what should I be doing and what are the right rules and what is the right way. So for me as a new mother, I struggled a lot with knowing if I was doing it right and if I was being my best and if I was being um, typical enough, you know, comparing myself to people around me. So I would say to new mothers out there that you are doing your best just by thinking that and you're almost one step ahead of a lot of new mothers because you're so self-aware and in some way self-critical we can be and that you're looking and seeking solutions. And many autistics are avid researchers and, and dive into, yeah. into projects and dive into topics. And so diving into that motherhood and, and being there fully for your children is such a wonderful gift for them. As, an, as a new mother, if I could have had someone come to me and explain to me what my gifts were being on the autism spectrum and how those gifts were contributing to my children, that would have meant a lot to me because I focused so much on my challenges and what I wasn't doing right. The anxiety every day I had of just taking the kids in, in their stroller to my oldest son's school, of leaving the house, of that networking with the other parents in the PTA, the parent groups, the nervousness with the parent conferences, the well checks and how do you interact with the doctors. All of those things for the autistic person can be very challenging and draining and and leave you with not many spoons left. So recognizing that there's going to be challenges and finding the support out there to help you with those things, whether it's a professional, a good friend, a spouse, but then looking at your strengths. And some of the strengths I highlighted in the chapter I contributed to was exactly what you said, Wanda, that authenticity. Mm -hmm. And it was also that I never put my self-esteem into my children. Mm -hmm. I let them be their authentic selves. Mm -hmm. I let them choose what interests them, um, what friends they wanted, what sports or activities they wanted to be in. And I didn't base who I was on my children. They weren't mini me's. They weren't reflections of me. And something that my youngest son has told me very often that he loves about me is he said, mom, you're like the devil's advocate. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, but you always look at both sides. You don't, think someone is automatically wrong when someone talks about them or bad. You're looking at both sides. And as a parent, a lot of autistic moms have that gift to look at both sides of a situation that their child's in so they can be more understanding. A lot of autistic moms don't use strategies such as manipulation or shame or mm -hmm. yelling because we just go to the heart and the truth of the matter and we have those tough conversations and we talk about our feelings. So it's, it's a balance. It's recognizing that there's gonna be hard, hard times as a new mother being autistic and having that neurology, but there's also gonna be these beautiful gifts. And I wrote an article on this topic at the Aspergian.com on, on being a mother to an autistic daughter, um, which I don't have, it was a fictional but this is something that's really close to my heart. And for the most part, I think a lot of autistics make, uh, uh, females make beautiful, beautiful mothers. It's so wonderful to hear you talk, Marcy. 
so many of your points resonate with me so deeply. I said to someone the other day, and I can't remember who I said, I feel that my autism causes me to be the other side of the story person that I am always looking beyond what is immediately in front and questioning, mm, there might be more there. What is it? Let's take a look. So it's so reaffirming to hear you say that. And I agree with everything you say. I support it 100%. And I would take it so far for me to say that my diagnosis has made me a better mother because the kids see that I'm more comfortable in my own skin. And that's I so don't important. To hide. <laughs> and I, before my diagnosis, I always felt like I had to hide my true self because I wasn't accepted. And then I realized the most important person to accept Wanda is Wanda. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the most important thing about parenting to me is that it's not what we say, it's we're role models. Mm -hmm. It's how we feel about ourselves, how we carry ourselves, the boundaries we set, mm -hmm. how we communicate, how we love. You know, loving unconditionally is something that a lot of autistic people have innately. We don't go in and judge, I'm going to love this person based on how much money they make, what schooling they have, what education they have, what they can give to me or bring to me, or what they've necessarily even done or done to me or how they've helped me in the relationship. You know, we don't keep track of, well, you've done this for me. So yeah, I'll keep you as my friend. We love people unconditionally. And with that, we have the aptitude to love our children in that same capacity where it's not about what they're doing for us or if they're keeping up with their chores, if they're keeping up with their grades. It's just that we love them. And I don't think there's any greater gift you can give a human being than to love them unconditionally. So we're already going in with a, you know, a scorecard that's got some bonus stars on it, in my opinion. <laughs> this is making me very, very happy to hear, especially about moms on the spectrum, because I would like one day to be able to have kids if my life so goes that way, or I have a partner that I feel comfortable with or any of these things going forward. So it really is heartwarming for me as a younger woman that has no kids to hear about how authentically you show up in your lives for your kids. So thank you both. And, and we, thank you, Haley. And I wish you whatever you want in life. You deserve it. Definitely. You're such a sweetheart. <laughs> with, with parenting, it's also important, the most important thing I wish I would have done back then is, is to know how to reach out for help mm -hmm. and to get more support. I had three children, two of them were 18 months apart, I actually had five pregnancies in four years, if you can believe it. And all of my three children were very high support needs uh, with sleeping, with health, and one more than likely two on the autism spectrum. I got very little sleep because they their sleep patterns and it it was very difficult not having a community around me that at that time really understood how autism manifests and the challenges it brings to the mm -hmm. can bring to the family when you don't know what's happening um, and you don't know how to find those resources so if a parent new parent can tap into respite care through the state uh, or some type of care where they can take those breaks and not feel guilty about self-care and taking those breaks 
that's something I wish that I had more resources for at the time. We couldn't even find babysitters. Um, there was one time we came home from for, to a babysitter and she was standing in the middle of the living room with her hands up in the air. I like to tell this story sometimes in conferences. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't know what to do. And my youngest was naked. He was about three years old. He was running as fast as he could through the house with his second roll of toilet paper, streaming the whole house with toilet paper with a broken bowl over his head, screaming at the top of his lungs. And so we couldn't keep babysitters. That was like, (laughs) that's what would happen if we left the house. Um, So I would say to a new mother, if any way that they can find support, tapping into autism society um, agencies, uh, any type of, it depends on what state you live in, what it's called, uh, but any type of program, getting them on the list as soon as you can, getting them, your child evaluated as soon as you can, so you can tap into the supports that are now available that weren't there 15 years ago. That's one, that is all wonderful, and I think support is something that all of us can benefit from, especially parents, because I think we talk about neurotypical parents needing support when they have autistic kids, and we need to talk about how we can support autistic parents of both autistic kids and neurotypical kids. So that being said, I think it's really important that we highlighted that. And I think that's a great note for us to end this conversation on too, because we are indeed a resource. And I know that our listeners take what we say seriously, and I'm really grateful for that. So thank you both for holding space and letting me get to even listen about parenting. And if you want to learn more about Wanda, please follow her on LinkedIn. Wanda Deshaw is absolutely incredible. Thank you for joining us. And for the rest of us, be sure to check out differentbrains.org and check out their Twitter and Instagram at diffbrains. And don't forget to look for them on Facebook. If you're looking for me, I can be found on all major social media platforms at Haley Moss Art. I do Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can also find me on my website at HaleyMoss.net. And if you're looking for me, you can find me typically by my author's name, Samantha Craft. On Twitter, I'm Asperger's Worlds. You can look up Everyday Asperger's. A lot of information will show up, blogs. My website is Spectrum Suite, is in an office building, S-U-I-T-E spectrumsuite.com and on LinkedIn I have several articles under my legal name which is Marcel Champy and you can also find me at neuroguides.org my partner organization please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and don't hesitate to send questions to spectrumlyspeaking at gmail.com let's keep the conversation going Spectrumly Speaking is a production of Different Brains. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.